Wednesday night, we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book through the whole Bible. We don't skip a word in the Bible. And it's kind of the meat and potatoes of what we do here at Athey. Uh, and, uh, but we take our Sunday text from our upcoming Wednesday night study. So let's, let's do that. If you'd turn with me to Mark's gospel, Mark chapter five. We happen to be in the gospel of Mark. And I wanna draw your attention to uh, one single story uh, in, the, in the stories of Jesus as he walked this earth. And uh, it's one that I think is really important that we should think through and pray about. Um, you know, the medical profession, uh, they, they always call it something that kind of cracks me up, practicing medicine. Uh, when do they stop practicing and start performing? Uh, well, as it turns out, I, I think we're never really gonna arrive at that performing medicine. We're gonna constantly call it practicing medicine. And, and I think the medical profession wants to keep calling it that because of lawsuits, uh, or we're just practicing. Uh, <laughs> uh, but but it, it, it's funny, if you look at the medical profession over the years, there's been some crazy stuff. Um, I remember uh, seeing this advertisement uh, uh, in one of my history uh, you know, studies uh, back in 1898, this was a newspaper ad put out by Bayer. And it wasn't just called Bayer Aspirin. It was called Bayer Heroin. Um, did you know this was a real thing? Um, the article talks about how the cure for a cough in, in 1898, Bayer began advertising a heroin-laced aspirin targeted at children suffering from sore throats, coughs, and colds. Bottles depicted children eagerly, eagerly reaching for the medicine with moms giving their sick kids heroin on a spoon, basically. Um, uh, that was, that was kind of, it worked great until everybody was addicted and then they realized, uh, now they just kind of cover up the addiction and just keep giving it to people for different drugs and stuff like that. But um, have you ever heard of bloodletting? How did George Washington, our first president of the United States, die? Well, it's debated uh, because he had a medical condition, but did he die from the medical condition or did he die from the treatment called bloodletting? Did you know uh, in, uh, in the old days, they used to, try to remove blood of somebody who was sick. They thought it was toxic blood. So we need to drain the blood out is kind of what they thought. Um, so that's what they did back in 1799. Washington's physicians justified the removing of more than 80 ounces of his blood. Uh, that's 2.365 liters of blood. Um, that's 40% that's of your total blood in your body. And they did it over a 12 hour period. So what killed him? His, um, his inflammation of his windpipe uh, and constricted blood vessels in that region or was it the draining of his blood? Uh, many doctors believe it was because they drained his blood. Notice in this picture, he looks pretty peaked, uh, but that's just, I don't know. Anyway, another one that kind of cracked me up, it got the name, I'd never heard of this one, but um, I started researching this a little bit. Have you ever heard of a Bible cyst? Uh, I didn't heard of a Bible cyst because I read the Bible and I never heard of a cyst about the Bible. But anyway, but as it turns out, in 1743, German uh, uh, anatomist uh, Lorenz Heister uh, had several treatments he wrote for if you have cysts on your hands or uh, wrists. I guess we call them now what? Uh, ganglion cyst? Kind of a gross cyst that's on your hand or whatever. But um, uh, he had several. Uh, his first ones included strapping a bullet that had killed an animal to your cyst. So you get the bullet out of the animal you just killed, take the bullet out and strap it to your cyst. Uh, that was one thing that he said would solve the problem. Uh, a second thing was, this is true, um, touching your cyst with a dead man's hand. 
So you go down to the morgue and find a dead man and stick the hand on there and let it sit there for a while. That was, but the final solution that Lorenz Heister uh, uh, came up with uh, is what he said is take your cyst and get the heaviest book you have in the house and you hold your hand on the table and you just whack it with a book. <clears throat> and, um, and most people only had um, Bibles. They didn't have a you know, bunch of books in, in the 1700s, but most households had a Bible. So they, that's where it got the name Bible Cyst. You take your Bible and thump it. Uh, a whole nother thing of Bible thumping, but that's, um, now doctors don't recommend that for those of you that are still wondering about that. Uh, there's other ways to handle that. But, but we've come up with all kinds of weird, we could talk about the snake oils salesmen that came through in the West. Uh, there was actually a cowboy that came up with these uh, snake uh, um, you know, oil products that were being sold. Total fake, total weirdness. Uh, medical, um, shocking your abs. Uh, remember that? That was as recent as the 90s. Remember you see the commercial where you, you just hook the electrodes up to your ab? Uh, uh, and you hope that by shocking it, suddenly you have a six pack like the guy on the TV commercial. Uh, I doubt he got that six pack from being shocked over and over and over again. Um, silly, silly, stupid stuff. Um, but even this last couple years, there's been a real shaking of people's confidence in the medical field. Um, and so I, I think that uh, you, maybe you've seen some of the podcasts or, or, or the movies that have been produced about some of the drug agencies and what's going on. And, and it's everybody knows that far too many of Americans are on medicines and drugs that we shouldn't be on. It's, it's everybody, everybody knows that if you, if you know the, the studies and all that research. But um, sadly, because we have all this available to us, we, we tend to first go to get help from places that I'm not sure we should completely trust. Oh, don't get me wrong. I'm thankful for medicine. I'm thankful for doctors and hospitals. I'm not one of those that say, you know, you only believe God and only get, you know, God might use hospitals and medicine and doctors to heal you. But I'm concerned that we've been a little bit too um, uh, leaving the Lord out of our problems and our issues. This story that's before us here might be uh, a good reminder of where the real help comes from. And it's this poor woman who's got a real issue. Check it out. It's, it's Mark chapter five, verse 25 is where our story begins. Mark 5, 25. It says, and a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years and had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, thou seest the multitude thronging thee and sayest thou who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. 
Here we see this amazing uh, story. Now, I have to confess, when I was a little kid, I've been a Christian all, you know, since I was five. I accepted Jesus at the ripe old age of five. Um, and so I grew up learning all these Bible stories. But when it came to this one, uh, as a little kid, I'm like, uh, oh, this is not really for me. Because I remember, uh, I, I sort of have a memory of raising my hand in Sunday school saying, teacher, what's an issue up, bud? You know, when you're five and you don't know any better. And, and she's like, well, that's something you should probably go ask your mother. Then I knew, uh-oh. Uh, this is a, what's this all about? Um, well, as it turns out, this poor uh, woman had uh, this, this, this issue of blood. The, the word issue um, is the, the Greek word is the same word we would use for the word flow. And it's so uh, tragic, 12 years, this woman. So as a little kid, I'm like, oh, once I learned, I was like, okay, I'm just not gonna, this, this is for a different gender uh, here. But um, as it turns out, the older I get, the more I start to see myself in all the Bible characters. See, when I was a little kid, I, I would read like David and Goliath and I'd say, oh, David, me, that's pretty much me. Um, or somebody doing great things, Samson ripping a lion in half, oh, that's me. Um, or the great people of the Bible, me, me, me. Um, but then I, I've grown and gotten older and realized, oh man, I, I'm, you know, like when Peter puts his foot in his mouth, well, that's me. Um, <laughs> Um, and some of the goofy, sinful people, that's me. But the older I get, I'm starting to realize, guess what? The woman with the issue of blood, that's me. Brett, are you gonna be advertising for Bud Light this week? What, like, what's going on here? <laughs> sorry, I should have said that, uh, sorry. Um, no, it's not what I'm saying. <laughs> no, that's what the world, the world's trying to say all this stuff now, you know, but... Um, but what I'm saying is, you know, these poor people in the Bible who have horrible situations, that's us. I'm the woman who was caught in adultery and thrown down in front of the religious zealots. Uh, I'm the one who sinned and deserves rocks being thrown at me. But, but praise the Lord, Jesus is the one who, you know, tells those guys to zip it and they take off and he forgives the poor woman who was caught in adultery. He, for, he forgave her. The woman at the well, I'm the woman at the well. Uh, remember, she had a bad reputation in town. And so, you know, Jesus comes and talks to the Samaritan woman, which no other Jew would have done, but Jesus lovingly helps the poor woman at the well. Um, I'm starting to realize that I'm the ones, uh, th these stories are for all of us, not, not just for someone who happens to have an issue of blood for 12 years. Um, but it, as I read this story, I'm just so once again reminded of the Lord Jesus, his love, his compassion for the hurting. Um, I love who Jesus is. And I, you know, even in this story, you might misconstrue Jesus as being kind of brutal here for a second, it seems, but I'm gonna show you how he's not being brutal. Um, the disciples are the goofballs in the story. Uh, again, me. But, um, but as it turns out, this is a beautiful story of healing and a, a woman who's not just healed, but she's also made whole. Um, let's take a close-up look at this story. First of all, if you're taking notes, you can maybe jot these down and think through some of this stuff. But first, I want you to take a, a careful consideration of her suffering and pain. Can you imagine having this issue uh, medically in Bible times, first century? You know, uh, no, no way to hide this issue in Bible times. In the first century, there's no way to hide this. It would have been known in the community for several reasons. Um, but um, there was no HIPAA, you know, people protecting medical issues privately, none of that. Uh, it was actually just, in fact, it was the opposite. If you went to the doctor as a woman who was a Jew in this time period and said, I've got this issue, suddenly they would declare you publicly as unclean. You were called unclean. 
Uh, maybe if you recall our study when we were talking about the leper, uh, those that had leprosy. Now that particular strain of leprosy is extinct. It's, it's been rubbed out, fortunately. But le- leprosy was a loathsome disease of Bible times. And it was you know, easily contracted. If you were around someone as a leper, you could get leprosy. And so you know, a leper was declared <coughs> by the priest as unclean. And he would have to walk down the street saying, unclean, unclean. And people would run for their lives from you if you were a leper. Even though medically they're totally different issues, this poor woman would also have been declared unclean and people freaked out. Now, medically, we know now today, of course, that that's weird, it's wacko to even think that something like that's contagious or what have you. But this poor woman has to go around declared unclean. That means people couldn't hang out with her. That means she couldn't go into the synagogue and meet to worship the Lord like everybody else could. She would have been definitely an outcast in the community. That's the way they rolled in those days. Alone outcast. By the way, if she was married to a guy uh, and then she was diagnosed with this problem, um, according to the, not the, the Hebrew Bible Jewish law, but after the Jewish law was given, the Mishnah, the Talmud was sort of extra laws they added. But one of the laws they added, they said if, if, a, if a woman had this, this uh, suffering issue of blood for 12 years, he had the right to divorce her. If, if she was a single woman, um, it was illegal to marry her if she had this condition. The reason I, I point this out is this poor woman in that culture in that day, what I, I, I'm sure the suffering physiologically was bad enough, but can you imagine the loneliness and being an outcast, the, the emotion problems that are associated with this, the psych, psychological problems that would be 12 years of isolation and being sort of an outcast in the community? So I feel so bad for this poor woman. And, and, and then she goes to get help and only finds out that there's nobody that can help her. In fact, that brings us to the second point uh, of this lesson is just the solutions that she came up with didn't produce any good help for her. In fact, she came up empty, literally broke, it says here. That verse, just, it just sums it up so sadly. It says, you know, um, that, that she, uh, in, in her desperation, she tried everything, suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and nothing was bettered. Suffered many things of many physicians. And maybe some of you have felt that. You know, you've, I, I've seen this where, you know, you have some kind of a particular disease or cancer or something. And man, the, the, sometimes you wonder which is worse, the treatment or the disease itself. And we've seen that here in, in church where people are diagnosed with cancer. And they have that decision. Do you take the radiation and the chemo and all the other stuff that goes along with it and, and the quality of life question? And it just, it's such a desperate and such a brutal decision people have to face. This poor woman, she knew uh, of that. Of the, is, I mean, the suffering that, that the physicians, it says she suffered many things of the physicians. What, was, what were they doing back in the first century? Poking and prodding her, trying to figure out medically what was going on. I can guarantee they did not know what was going on in those days. Um, it's funny to me how we don't know what's going on in these days. Uh, you, do you get the sense that we really are maybe less clear on medicine and a lot of things than we were three years ago? Um, there's an interesting article, by the way, uh, Time Magazine did on people are now taking placebo pills to deal with their health problems and it's working. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
by the way, uh, if, if you don't believe me on this, uh, it, it's actually kind of an interesting thing um, where um, this idea of the placebo uh, is, uh, it's just where it's like not really a drug. It's like a sugar pill or something like that. But, um, but this, this uh, placebo effect, uh, as it turns out, uh, in 2016, this study was published in the Journal of Pain. Researchers, including Captain Chuck, randomly assigned 83 people with chronic low back pain at a hospital in Lisbon to either continue taking their pain medication as usual or start taking honest placebo pills. Now, what's an honest placebo pill? That means they're actually telling the people, this is a placebo. Like, okay, I'll take it. So they know it's a placebo, and, and, but this is where doctors don't know what to do with this. It was a shocking study. The researchers found that on average, the group taking the real painkillers reported a 9% reduction in usual pain, 16% reduction in maximum pain, and 0% reduction in their disability. But the people who were knowingly taking placebos experienced a 30% reduction in both usual and maximum pain and a 29% drop in disability. What's happening there? I have no idea. Uh, it makes you wonder, is it all in our minds? Well, I don't think that as much. I, it seems like that can be that way. Have you, uh, have you ever had a job to do on a Saturday morning and, and you're like, I gotta dig a ditch this Saturday. So you wake up at Saturday morning, your back's felt great all week and you wake up Saturday morning, oh, my back is out. And it's like, you wonder, what's going on there? I felt great all week and I have to dig a ditch. And my, it makes you wonder. But all that to say, um, you know, our confidence in doctors and medicine is on the decline. America's trust, this is a Pew Research Center, America's trust in scientists and other groups declines, especially the medical profession. 29% uh, of US adults say they have a great deal of confidence in medical science, which is way lower by far than the last several years. Um, current ratings of medical scientists and scientists have now fallen below where they were even before uh, January or of 2019. Um, but the trend, as they're saying, more people believe that doctors are uh, kind of selling their souls to the dollar because of big pharma. Uh, there's, and and if, if, if you're not aware of this, it's, it is interesting, all the movies and books that have been written and podcasts where people are starting to openly talk. Doctors have not talked about this stuff because it's so crazy. Um, a lot of doctors are afraid to even bring this stuff up because they might be canceled or uh, labeled as a quack. Like there's a retaliation for doctors who are trying to honestly say, yeah, there's some corruption with the medical industry or the uh, pharmaceutical industries. And so because of that, America's saying, man, what do you do? What do you do if you're sick? Um, can you trust your doctor and can you trust medicine? Um, you know, it's funny, I'm not one who typically, I was never an anti-vaxxer. I'm not, you know, I, I was the guy, if you heard the CDC say something, well, you better go with what the CDC says. But, but now, I, even I have to admit, man, are you kidding? Uh, like if the CDC says something, you might wanna think about doing the opposite uh, these days because it's weird. It's like there's been a dishonesty and they call it science. Bible says that's gonna happen, by the way, in the last days. They'll call things science, but it'll be science falsely so-called. Bible warns about that. Interesting. People that say Christians don't love science. Well, that's totally people making stuff up. Um, some of the greatest scientists in history were Bible-believing Christians. And if you don't know that, then just study your history. It's really easy to find that. Um, but all that to say, the world, whether you agree with me or not on any of what I'm suggesting, that doesn't matter. The world is feeling that right now, and especially people in America, trusting medicine. 
And it's kind of interesting because here's this poor woman who did trust doctors and physicians and money to try to help her, but she, it only made matters worse for her. And so she comes up with a new plan. She's tried everything, now she, she has nothing left, but she comes up with a, a new plan. Now, where does her new plan come from? That's, I guess, consideration number three. The source of her plan is found there in verse 27, when she had heard of Jesus, um, she went into the press. That means she jumped into the crowd and pressed through that multitude of people. And she said, if I could only just touch his garment, that's her plan. Where did she get that? Well, in my Bible, I've marked the word heard because that's the operative word. If you know your Bible, the Bible talks about faith and, and Jesus will commend this woman's faith. Where did she get faith? Well, I think it comes to this word heard. When she'd heard that Jesus was there, she came and wanted to reach out and touch Christ. <clears throat> now, uh, here's the thing. Uh, the Bible tells us, and maybe you all know this, but in Romans 10, 17, it says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So she hears of Jesus and now she's gonna go and um, try to touch Jesus. That's, that's her plan. The source of her plan was that she'd heard. Um, I hope that, that people can hear of the great things Jesus has done in your life. Um, so many people in the world, they think, oh, Jesus was a good teacher or just a nice philosopher or a prophet of some kind or religious guru. But what they need to understand is he's the savior of the world. He's the one who has power to save and, and to heal and to make people whole. And, and she had heard that. And so now she's got just enough faith to say, I'm gonna, my last ditch effort, I'm gonna try to reach in. And uh, so she hears about Jesus, I love that. Um, uh, now, by the way, there's a second part that I think the source of her plan comes from. And that's probably as this woman, a Jewish woman who's got this problem, she probably got some of her ideas from the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament as we call it. Um, she must have known something because we miss something in the Gospel of Mark's account of this story. In Matthew's account, we learn something a little more detailed. And let me just show you what that is. In Matthew 9, 20, same story, different gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four gospels tell the stories of Jesus. This one gives us a little more detail. And behold, a woman, which was diseased with an issue of blood, 12 years, came behind him and touched the hem of his garment. Uh, do you notice the difference between Mark's account and this one? It's the hem of his garment. Oh, brother, Brett, you're one of those weird pastors always looking at the little details. Oh, this is a big detail. Um, and, and this is something you might miss because when we talk about a hem, you're thinking a little fold of cloth at the bottom of your jeans that's hemmed and there's a stitch line in there or whatever. Well, no, in Bible times, the hem was a big deal. And I need to kind of get you to see this because this woman, her idea is to go touch Jesus, but not just him, but the hem of his garment. Why the hem? Well, in a Jew's uh, you know, outfit, uh, the hem is the, the, the part of the uh, deal that had most meaning. Meaning? Um, do you wear something with meaning? Uh, some of you do. Uh, but like if you're wearing a wedding ring, that, that's a thing you're wearing that has meaning to it. Same thing with the hem of a Jew's garment. Um, where does that come from? It comes from you know, the book of Numbers where the law was given to the Jews. In fact, you can jot that down. If you're quick, you could turn there. But in Numbers 15, I wanna just read you where this, this thing about the hem of a garment came to be a big deal for the Jewish people. 
Uh, Numbers 15, 37, the Lord spake to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and bid them that they make them fringes on the borders of their garments throughout their generations, meaning forever. And that they put upon the fringe of the borders a ribbon of blue. And it shall be for you a fringe that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them that you seek not after your own heart, after your own eyes, which you used to go hoarding. Um, uh, you remember all the commandments and be holy unto the Lord. I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. What's the, the fringe of the garment supposed to be? They were supposed to make a fringe that had blue in it, uh, a ribbon of blue in it, or maybe better put a strand of blue uh, and it was supposed to be on the fringes of their garments. Now, if you go to Jerusalem today, when we go there, we see uh, the, probably the most obvious group is the Hasidic Jews, where they're wearing the mink hats and the black coats, and they're, they're kind of uh, around the wailing wall, bobbing up and down like this. You know those guys? They also have the little tassels hanging out from under their garments. They'll be walking around with their little tassels. Um, what are those tassels? Those are the, the, the Jews who are trying to fulfill Numbers 15, 37 through 41. And there to be a reminder that the Lord is their God and the blue band reminds them that they were taken out of Egypt. Blue, by the way, is also for the Jews a symbol of heaven, uh, eternal life in heaven. Um, uh, and that color blue in the Bible means that. So the, the fringe has meaning. Now, here's where it gets a little confusing. It, it, was it just supposed to be a few tassels hanging down like they do today? Well, that's the way they do it today. In ancient times, it was more of a fringe around all the borders of their garments. Um, uh, you, you've seen ball fringe, like uh, if you've taken a taxi cab in New York and the guy has ball fringe up on the windshield hanging, dangling, that, that's kind of what this was like. They would make little tassels like on your rug, the edge of your rug with the little tassels. That's the way the borders of the garments of the Jews, would, it was there to be a reminder with the blue thread uh, of, of the Lord their God and the commandments of the Lord. Fast forward from the law given from Numbers 15 to the first century where the Jews during Jesus' time, they had the fringes of their garments. Now, before we get into that first century, does anybody remember a story in the Bible um, this is where it's kind of helpful to understand that the fringe was more than just some part of your clothing. It actually had heavy meaning. Does anybody remember a story where there was a hem of someone's garment involved? David and Saul. Um, this kind of tells you about this. It, it, it's, remember David was running for his life because King Saul was hunting him like a dog. And so David and his men, they were running into the, into the region of En Gedi where they were hiding in a cave from King Saul. And King Saul was hunting him with his army. Well, Saul's really close. David's hiding in a cave. Saul, Saul says, man, I need to go use the restroom. So Saul goes in to a cave to use the bathroom. Now, if you're saying, I don't remember the bathroom part, uh, it's the Hebrew part. You, you, it, it, some of your English Bibles leave that out. Uh, he's going in to use the restroom. Now, whether he's going in to use the restroom and take a nap or whatever, uh, it's debatable. But the main thing that happens is, is David has been there hiding. They see Saul coming in and the guys say, David, look, the Lord has delivered Saul in your hand. You can go kill him. So David sneaks up as Saul's there, you know, maybe taking a nap in the cave, just kind of resting in the cool of the cave. And, and David sneaks up with his knife and he chops off King Saul's head. No, I was just checking to see if you guys are, you looked a little sleepy. I just wanted to make sure you're listening. No, he did not chop off his head. What he did do though, is he pulled out his knife and he, and he carefully cut the hem of Saul's garment. 
Uh, do you think a king had an impressive hem? Well, see, the hem was, by the time King Saul was around, the law of Numbers 1537, they would broaden their hems. And if you were an important person, they might even add some colors to the blue thread to, oh, this is a king. He's gonna have some colors. It's gonna be fancy. And, 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 and by the way, like an admiral in the Navy, if you look at his rewards and his, his medals, all the colors mean stuff. That's what the hem of the garment would be for a king in Israel. He had a fancy hem that stood for stuff. So when David cuts the robe, uh, the hem, he then goes out and he tells his guys, oh, I've sinned against the Lord that I've cut the robe of the Lord's anointed. Um, no, David, I would have said, he's the Lord's anointing. You're like, you could have killed him. And, but no, David knew that cutting the hem, it was, it was more of an insult because cutting the hem of a guy's robe meant you were insulting his authority. That's the idea there. It was a big deal. So you say, okay, but what's your point? Make your point. Well, here's the thing. By the time Jesus was on the scene, the hem would, would be a symbol of your authority, of who you were. It, was, it, it meant even you know, like your rank in the society. It was kind of a big deal. So this woman, not only does she hear that Jesus is there, but she comes up with this plan to touch the hem of his garment, which she would have got that from the Hebrew Bible to know that that would have been where the authority or the power would reside. If she's gonna touch him, the most important thing on Jesus would be the hem of his garment. I think that's interesting. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Both of those things, hearing and knowing what the word says, those were the two things where she basically came up with the source of her plan, point number three that we've been talking about here. The source was really faith by hearing and by the word. That's kind of an interesting thing. But that brings us then, I think, to the, uh, the number four on our list of things. Um, you know, of all the, all the things this poor woman uh, is going through, uh, the, the singleness of her purpose. Now, this is an important place to be at in life. She had nothing else going for her. Have you ever been to a place where you got nothing? You've tried everything, and you got nothing left? Um, as tragic as that can be, it can also be really good. Um, you know, it, it, it's one thing to be an American with all these so-called solutions to fix all of our problems. But oftentimes we try everything, but the very thing that we need to try. Maybe you've tried all the different programs and read the books, trying to fix your life and make yourself a better person and do all that stuff. You're gonna find those things will, will not really be the best thing for you. What the, the person really needs is Jesus Christ. You need to be saved. You need to be forgiven of your sins. Man's greatest need, they say, is God's greatest deed. God came and died on the cross for the sins of the world that you might be saved and forgiven. This woman, she's got no other recourse of action. She, she's tried doctors and spent her money. And now the only thing she's got is this idea of touching Jesus. There's been people I've seen where they've tried everything, but you kind of almost, you feel bad hoping that they hit the bottom. Because at the bottom, if they've got nothing left, then maybe, maybe just then, they'll turn and see the true answer and be saved and forgiven and headed for heaven. It was Corey Tenboom, who was that Holocaust survivor of Auschwitz and, and her and her um, situation was as horrible as it could get. But she's the one who, who said, you'll never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And I think that's important. That's where this poor woman is at. She's got nothing left. So she comes to this desperate place of saying, well, if the only thing I got left is Jesus, 
then I'm gonna try that with all my heart. So she does that. Um, you know, um, I love her single focus here. And I think we've become such multitaskers. We, we like to have a million things going on at once. Did you know, speaking of, you know, studies and stuff, uh, Forbes came out with this. There's no such thing as multitasking. And some of you are like, well, I'm, a, I'm really good at multitasking. No, you're not. Actually, multitasking is what you think you're doing. But what you're probably better at is being able to switch from task to task back and forth fast but there's no such thing as multitasking. A realization study shows multitasking actually results in a massive productivity loss. Mostly with most people, up to 40% of your productivity is hindered by multitasking. Um, in the absence of multitasking, there was a 59.8% average increase in the number of projects completed and a 35.5% reduction in the time it took to complete a project. University of California, Irvine said on getting distracted. How do you get back, back to the zone? And how long does it take you? They did a study, how long does it take you when you're distracted to get back on task? The, the study found it takes an average of 23 minutes and 15 seconds once you've been distracted to get back on task. Um, and you say, well, whatever, 23 minutes. But that means if you're lucky enough to get distracted only a few times a day, you only lose an hour of work or so. But if you get distracted a lot, you might be losing a lot. You know, we've got our phones going, we're scrolling, we got our computers on, we got podcasts going, we got medicine and doctors and people and friends and psychology and all kinds of things. We're just, oh, getting all our stuff and we got so much stuff. I wonder if maybe, just maybe it might do you well to do what the Bible says. The Bible says, be still and know that I am God. I wonder if some of you are still wondering why you're hurting, why you're going through tough things and why you're in trouble. Maybe it's because you're still trying the physicians in, like in the story, whatever that may be, whatever's keeping you from turning to the real source, the solution, which is Jesus Christ. He's always the answer. And, and if you go to Jesus, he'll show you the, the correct course of action, whether it's doctors, medicine or whatever. But the idea is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other things will be added unto you. Um, I like the simplicity and the singularity of our faith. Even to be saved, the, the Bible says, and the world hates this, by the way, but the Bible says that Jesus is the only way to heaven. I don't like that, it's narrow. I love it, it's simple. If the Lord gave us 20 ways to be saved, I think I'd probably choose the 30th way. Like, like I'm so thankful for this, the simplicity of how, how the Lord lays it out for people to be saved. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father, which is in heaven, but by me. Jesus made that claim. He's the only way. So, um, so when you've got nothing else to do, um, guess what? You can be very singular. I like the singularity of the Bible. It's all throughout the Bible. For example, in Proverbs, uh, pardon me, Psalm uh, 27, Verse four, um, the psalmist says, one thing have I desired of the Lord and that will I seek after that I, uh, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. One thing, singular. Um, not only the psalmist, but Paul the apostle in Philippians, he said, brethren, I count, my, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth to those things which are before. This is the mantra for the woman with the issue of blood. She's tried everything else, forget that stuff, press on and do one thing. She's got a very singular 
plan. And like I said earlier, Jesus said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Jesus is the answer. The single thing we need to seek after, to strive to know, to touch, to fall before him. That's, that's this, this poor woman's need. And that brings us, I think, here to number, point number five, the salvation from her plague. Um, why, question, why did this story not end in verse 29? Have you thought about this? It says, you know, in our text here in, in uh, Matthew 5, 29, it says, and straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. By the way, I know some of you probably are leery of this because there's always the crazy people on TV that are acting, you know, throwing wheelchairs off of stages and he'll be healed in the name of Jesus. There's always the crazy people who like to make dramatic things of that. But I just wanna say, uh, people that are normal thinking people, um, healing still happens. Do you know that? Um, God still heals people. Um, and he heals through various means. I, I'm not one of those people that believe that if you're a good Christian, you will f- for sure be healed right now. Um, the Lord sometimes heals miraculously right now. I've seen that. But sometimes it's through time and medicine he'll use to heal. And sometimes the ultimate healing, you won't be healed until you die and go to heaven. That's the ultimate healing. Um, but one thing you need to know is if you're not healed right now, does that mean you're lacking in faith? Um, of course not. Paul the Apostle, even kind of our, our champion Christian, if you would, he had an infirmity of the flesh. He called it the thorn in his flesh. Do you remember what he said? He prayed three times, Lord, please heal me of my thorn in my flesh. Heal me three times. And the Lord said, Paul, I need you to stop praying for that. You're gonna have the thorn in the flesh. Um, and Paul had to be good with that and realize that was just part of his plight, that God had a different plan and purpose. Can I just say, by the way, this is an important thing. If you have an infirmity of the flesh or some problem in life, don't necessarily think it's because you've done something wrong. It could be, but it's not always that way. That's one thing I forgot to tell you. Um, not only was this poor woman ostracized and called unclean, but the, the mantra of the day was, well, she's got her condition because she sinned. She must have done something really, really bad to get this issue of blood for 12 years. That was what people thought in those days. Um, That was, by the way, the question of the day. Do you remember when Jesus and the disciples were walking down the street and they saw this guy was blind from the time he was born? And the disciples, oh, we can ask Jesus the big Bible question. What question was that? They said, Jesus, this guy was born blind. Was it because of his sin that he's blind or was it because of his mother and father's sin that he's blind? Which one? Do you remember Jesus' answer? He said, no. Like, which one? It was a false dilemma. Jesus said, it's neither his mother and father's sin nor his sin, but God is gonna do, Jesus said, a work through this man that, that, that the Lord might be made known, manifest in this person's life. It's the same thing as Job and his friends. Remember the whole book of Job? Boy, Job must've done something really bad to get all this stuff that's going on to him right now. His friends, so-called, uh, said to him, but as you read the whole story, you realize, no, Job actually was the opposite. He was so upright and such a good guy. Satan and God have this cosmic debate in heaven about whether Job would stay with the Lord or, or, or bail if things went really bad in his life. And so it was a, a big cosmic debate and experiment that Job and his friends knew nothing about. So don't make that mistake where you think, oh, I must've done something really bad. Another misnomer is if you're going through bad things, you might be thinking, well, God is punishing me um, for my sins. Listen, 
um, if you are a Christian, God is not punishing you for your sins. Oh, I think he is. I, I, I've sinned and now I've got a cold and I think God's punishing me. No, the wages of sin is not a cold. The wages of sin is death, eternal death in hell. That's what the Bible says. Um, and that's what we need to understand. And so if you think God's punishing you punitively, now there is a notion you need to understand. Sometimes the Lord allows suffering in your life for the purpose of correction, redirection, uh, to strengthen, to mature. But it's not, the Lord's not punishing you for your sins. Because if he was punishing you for your sins, you'd be dead and burning in hell right now. I don't want you to make that mistake. There's people that say that and they're just wrong. Um, but the fact that you're still here alive with a pulse means that God has not punished you for your sins. Now, if you're a Christian and you accept Christ, the Lord says, I took your penalty of death. That's what Jesus did. He died on the cross for you in your place. To think that God's punishing you for your sins is you diminishing what Jesus did on the cross. Do you see the danger in that? That's something we don't wanna do. Christ died on the cross for our sins. He took the punishment that was meant for me and substitutionarily died in my place. That's what salvation is. You're a sinner who deserved death. And God says, I don't want anyone to perish. And so if you accept his loving gift of salvation, Christ will take your penalty and pay your debt. And that's salvation. See, you say, Brett, what does that have to do with the poor woman with the issue of blood? Everything. Why did the story not end in verse 29? Because Jesus wasn't done with her. There's a situation here where could she have needed something more than just the healing of her issue of blood? Let's refer back to Mark chapter four. Remember the guy who their buddies lowered him through the roof of the house? What was that man's greatest need? Anybody remember? Was it to be able to walk again? It was to have his sins forgiven. Remember the story? His buddies lowered him in that he, in, a, in a stretcher because he can't walk. And, and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Well, the Pharisees and the religious guys, what does this guy think he's got the power to forgive sin? And Jesus, knowing what they were thinking, said to them, which one's easier to say your sins are forgiven or take up your bed and walk? I'm sure the guys are like, well, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. Well, as it turns out, Jesus said, well, just so that you know that I have the power to say your sins are forgiven. He'd look to the guy and said, take up your bed and walk. And the guy gets up and walks out. And they're all standing there not saying a word because they know that they better not say anything because they're kind of stupid. <laughs> but Jesus, he says, listen, it, which one is harder? And we came to the conclusion for Jesus to heal the guy, all he had to do is speak the word and it was done. But for, for Jesus to forgive the guy, Jesus would eventually go to the cross and die for the sins of the world. Um, that was a bigger deal. Same thing for this woman, which is easier for this woman to be healed or for this woman to be made whole, not just in her body physically, but in her soul spiritually and emotionally and all the other parts of her being. See, Jesus wasn't done with her. And see, this is where people might, might um, say, why, why was Jesus so mean to her? To call her out in the crowd and make her come and bow down before him. That's not actually what happened. The disciples are a little misguided on this, by the way. Side note, this is kind of funny. Mark says the disciples, you know, they're, uh, you know, the disciples said, you see the multitude thronging thee. Why do you say who touched you? Like the, the, the disciples are almost like have indignation. And they're saying, Jesus, come on, hello. You're in a crowd of people. Now this is Mark's account. If you go to the other gospel accounts, they all say it was Peter. 
Peter's the one who said this stupid thing. It just cracks me up. John's always saying, Peter did that. Um, But anyway, so Peter's the one who's saying this, Jesus, you know, why are you, what a dumb question, who touched me? But then you say, "But, but why did Jesus say that? And then he said, Virtue has gone for me, as it says there in verse 30. The, the Greek word for virtue, we did this on um, the virtuous woman of Proverbs 31 on Mother's Day. We talked about this. But um, the word virtue here is actually kind of a tough translation. The original word in the Greek is a word that some of you will recognize. It's the Greek word dunamis. And the word dunamis uh, means power, strength, ability. Um, it's where we get our word dynamite. Boom, power. So Jesus says, Um, I was walking through the crowd and I felt power go out of me. What's going on? Jesus had that sense being perfect. And and, and you think, well, if I was the woman, I would have went, man, I'm out of there. Uh, I don't wanna be on front and center with my issue of blood in a crowd when I'm not even supposed to be near a crowd. Like, like this poor woman, she's, she, suddenly she said, who touched me? And she's thinking, what, do I, what am I gonna do? But if you read the story correctly, you'll notice the disciples say, what are you doing? Verse 32, Jesus then looked round about to see her that had done this thing. Like you're, you're thinking, what am I gonna do? And then he looks right at you. Who touched me? What do I do? I can't run. So what does she do? She runs and falls down before Jesus at his feet. Is that what Jesus wanted? Kneel before me, loser. Is that what Jesus is doing? No, this is is a woman desperate who falls down at the feet of Jesus. Um, By the way, if you're falling down at someone's feet, can can you just make sure it's Jesus's feet? Don't fall at the feet of any man or any woman in this world. They're not worthy of kneeling before. Jesus alone is worthy of that kind. This woman's got the right plan to fall down at the feet of Jesus. By the way, there's a funny story in England um, Neil Martin, who was a member of British Parliament back, I think it was in like the 70s, um, he tells the story when he once was giving a group tour to his constituents, guiding through the House of Par- Parliament there in England, um, when one of his friends, who was the Lord Chancellor Halishan, Lord Halishan uh, of the British Parliament, he was kind of the head honcho, and if you know, the Lord Chancellor wears the fancy robes and the fancy wig. In fact, I brought a picture of Lord Halisham. This guy here walks up as, uh, there, there's his fancy garments, uh, but um, Lord Halisham walks up, and Neil is giving his tour to his constituents, and then this guy walks up, and, he's, he's, and they're friends, so this guy, Lord Halisham, says, Neil, and all the tour people fell down on their knees, and kneeled before this guy. It's like, no, not, not Neil, like K-N-E-E-L, but Neil, like, uh, like bro, Neil, N-E-I-L or whatever. Um, but uh, don't be bowing before men. I don't know why I showed you that. Anyway, I'm sorry. Just kind of funny story. But, um, but, but see, this is, this is the, the final point, And that is that, that there was salvation from not only just her plague, but her plague of the issue of blood, but she had other issues as well, like we all do, issues of sin and failure and mistakes in life. And I believe Jesus wasn't done with her yet. Um, I love what, what happens here, uh, you know, where it, it says there in verse 34, and he said unto her daughter, which by the way is a, is a huge term of endearment. Jesus isn't calling her out to say, loser unclean woman. No, he calls her his daughter. Don't you love that? The, the, the Greek word for this is, is very endearing. It's, it's a term of kindness. He says, daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. 
You see, I believe there's a difference between healing and wholeness. The sickness that she had no doubt left her with all kinds of baggage from being an outcast, being ostracized, being called a sinner for who she was. And the suffering was far beyond just the physiological suffering. Jesus knew she had all kinds of other issues and Jesus wanted to send her away, not just healed, but send her away whole. Man, I love this uh, part of the story. That's, he wasn't calling her out to embarrass her. He, he wanted her to go away completely squared away. Um, and that's the way Jesus always left people um, that were in trouble. He didn't just tack on a healing here or there and say, okay, good luck with life. He heals her, yes, but he also sends her away and says, now your faith has made thee whole. Um, all that to say, this is exactly what we all need. This is where I see myself in this story. I'm the sick person, sick and plagued with sin and mistakes and doing dumb things in my life and people thinking I'm a weirdo and they're probably right. But here's the thing, um, the answer that I need is not in psychotherapy or shock therapy or medicine or medical stuff. I need Jesus to touch my life and make me whole. I need to be saved salvation from my own sin. And, and the good news is this woman, she does the right thing. She falls down before Jesus. She touches him, she falls down. And, and, and there's a word here that I want you to see as we wrap it up. It says um, in, um, here in our text, uh, where is it? Right here in verse 33, the woman fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. There's another word in the Bible for that. It's called confession. She told him all the truth. Um, what did she tell him? I'm not really sure. Maybe she told him, I'm the woman who had an issue of blood and you just healed me. Um, maybe she said, I'm the woman who's messed up in more ways than one. And she confesses this. And, and I think this telling the truth part <clears throat> is so easily missed. And it's her faith I love the scripture, like this is the way Luke puts it. I love the word, he says under daughter, be of good comfort. Like a word of comfort, thy faith hath made thee whole. Because she's a woman of faith to believe Jesus, she falls down at the feet of Jesus and she confesses the truth before Jesus. That's what you need to do. It's just that simple. We need to repent of our sin, our failure, our sickness and say, Lord, we need you. And as you fall down before Jesus, guess what? Well, the Bible tells us, 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what Jesus has to offer. The world has a lot to offer, but they fall short. The world offers success and prosperity and happiness and health and all this stuff. But have you seen how many people have realized that that's just really a shallow promise? The reason there's thousands of people that gather here on a Sunday, service after service is because there's a lot of sick people that were healed by Christ, but not just healed from the infirmities we have, but made whole because we have the hope of heaven and our sins are forgiven. We don't have any longer the psychology problems, the emotional problems um, that, that we're worried about our eternal state. We know we're saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus is still the answer. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all the other stuff will be added to you. That's what the Bible says. My hope and prayer is that all of you, that first of all, you're saved because that's your greatest need. More than any other thing, whether you know it or not, you need to have your sins forgiven. The way that happens, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you confess, like the woman, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus, it says you will be saved. It doesn't say go to church and be saved. That's not what saves you. 
carry a Bible and wear a fake smile on your face. That's not what saves you. You're saved by God's good grace. If you just ask him and say, Lord, forgive me for my sins, the Bible says you'll be saved. What a perfect and amazing gift. And Jesus would send you away today if you haven't accepted Christ and you accept him today, he'll send you not just healed, but whole. Uh, it doesn't mean your life's gonna be perfect. It means you have the hope of heaven, your sin's forgiven, and it's only gonna get better as time goes by. That's what the Lord promises. I pray that upon this congregation, healed, but also whole. Amen? Amen, let's pray together. Oh, this this poor woman, Lord, as she went through all this tough stuff. How I pray, Lord, that people even in this room that maybe is struggling in life with issues of this or that, um, Lord, uh, mistakes made, sins committed, the repercussions of those mistakes and sins, or just trouble that has just come for no other reason than it's just trouble, sickness, cancers, diseases, whatever they are, Lord, we still know you're the one who's able to heal us. Um, oh, how thankful we are for so great a salvation. None of us deserved it. None of us earned it. It's a free gift that you give to us. Like Ephesians 2.8, we're saved by your grace through faith. Not of our own works or our good deeds, but not of ourselves. It's a gift from you, Lord. We're so thankful for that. How I pray, Lord, that there'd be people who would put down all the other so-called solutions and turn to you and accept you, believe. If you would, with your heads bowed, and uh, Christians, maybe just be in prayer right now, use this as a prayer time. But I would like to, before we wrap it up, just if you're one who's saying, Brett, I, I've never accepted Christ or I've never become a Christian, I've never confessed my sins to God. That's what the Bible teaches. You gotta repent. The word repent means exactly like this woman, to change your mind and just do something different. Go the different direction. She tried everything else, but she, she finally went and confessed before Jesus her need. And because of that, she went away whole. That's what the Lord would have for you. I wonder if there's a few of you who'd say, Brad, I wanna accept Christ. I'd like to help you with that. I'm not gonna embarrass you or make you get in front of anybody, um, but with people's heads bowed, if that's you and you're saying, Brad, I want that, I'd like to pray a simple prayer of confession. For the Bible says, Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose from the grave, it says you will be saved. If you want that, I'd love to to pray that prayer with you. So if that's you, just boldly between you, me and the Lord right now, would you just look up at me and give me a quick wave and I'll just acknowledge you. I'm gonna look around just for a second. And if that's you, just, just give me a quick wave. I see you there, awesome, cool. Let me look around just for a second. Over there, cool. And you back there, and you, good. Over here, awesome, I see you guys. Good, good, back over there, awesome. Don't let me miss you, I just wanna back way in the back, cool. And you, good. So cool, awesome. I'm gonna just pray this prayer of confession of faith. Now, I'm gonna ask the whole church, we wanna get behind you because we, we love this, that you're saying, man, I know that Jesus is the answer. And we know that to be true. So it makes us glad to pray this with you. We're gonna pray this out loud with you guys and girls. Um, if you just pray this from your heart, the Bible says he'll hear this. You say, Brett, is it really that easy to be saved from my sins and go to heaven? Uh, you gotta remember, he did all the work dying on the cross for your sins. So it's easy for us because it's a gift. And this is us just simply receiving it. So let's do this. Would you pray out loud with me as we pray this prayer? And if you raise your hand, just, just make this your prayer to the Lord. Dear Father in heaven, 
I believe in your son, Jesus. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. That he rose up from the grave and that I'm forgiven. Help me to walk with you. Thank you for saving me. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Lord, what a joy to see people just uh, understand where the true salvation comes from. And Lord, I pray you'd wrap your loving arms around them, that they'd know their sins are forgiven. Uh, Lord, for those that are hurting in this world, we know there's so many people struggling and hurting, and I, I pray that they would turn to you, the answer, the solution. Bless these, your people, as we go away on this sunny day. I, I pray that you'd cause us to rejoice on this Memorial Day weekend. Lord, your word talks about how those that lay down their lives, there's no greater love, even as you laid down yours for us. Um, may we just celebrate the freedom and the joy we have as a people because of the sacrifice of others. Uh, may that be part of our weekend. Bless these, your people, as we go now. In Jesus' name, amen.